Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. Kristen Armstrong is the most decorated U.S. women's cyclist of all time and the best time trialist in sports history. She's a three-time Olympic gold medalist, two-time world champion, and has won six U.S. national championships. Kristen, thank you so much for, for joining us today on the CoachCast. Yeah, it's great to be here. I really appreciate you having me. Lord, I don't know. I, I barely know where to start. Um, I kind of want to go back to the early years. You know, I've I've heard you talk about your your upbringing and all the different places you lived, and people just assume that you rode a bike from age five and got on the time trial bike at age twelve, and your parents pushed you to the Olympics. And tell us how that is definitely not the case. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's definitely not the case. I um, was actually in part of a military family. So I was a military brat and moved every three years of my life and played pretty much every sport you can name. Um, graduated in Okinawa, Japan when my dad got stationed to Colorado Springs. And I had um, three choices between um, going to a school in Utah, going to Colorado school or uh, in Idaho. And I chose Idaho. So I went to Idaho, walked on the track team, didn't enjoy it. Didn't have much fun. Had a lot of injury. Um, had some stress fractures. So decided that maybe that was kind of my time as an athlete. Graduated college. And as the book says, you know, you're supposed to get a job, you know, get married, <laughs> start a family. I mean, that's kind of what I always thought was supposed to happen in life. And so I got the job part didn't have the boyfriend part and didn't have the married part, of course, <laughs> didn't have a child. And, um, you know, that competitive blood that so many athletes have, it just didn't go away. And I remember when my friend decided to dare me to do a, uh, a triathlon. And so I remember my first triathlon doing a 400 meter swim and, uh, a seven mile bike ride on, well, I call it a bike ride. Cause I was on a mountain bike with oh like knobby tires and, um, it was like a, yeah, I remember it was fluorescent green and, um, I got off the bike and was supposed to run two miles and I, I had, I had a walk, I had to walk two miles. And, um, I think the race was about 35 minutes and I'll never forget when I was like, Oh, I, I don't need to work out for a week because I just did <laughs> something hard for 35 minutes. And I had a normal job. I was a director of the aquatic center at a YMCA. And I remember one day. Just, you know, being an athlete, sometimes we kind of underestimate how easy it is just to become a robot and go to practice and do our training. And well, after college, when I had this real job, um, I remember looking in the mirror one day and said, I need to take care of myself. I'm going to start swimming again because that's what I did in high school. And I played soccer and I, I ran. And so I started swimming with masters and I started running with um, an actual running group in town. And, um, I decided that I only had a mountain bike at the time and I would never go on the trails at the time. And so I saved up all my money to buy a road bike and it took me a long time because once I 
bought a road bike with my money. I had, didn't have enough money to buy shoes or a helmet. And I eventually did that. And I pretty much wore the same pair of shorts and Jersey for pretty much every ride I did for like <laughs> two years. <laughs> and I'm um, just barely making it off of a nonprofit salary. And I started entering into triathlons and um, yeah, I just kept competing in triathlons. One thing led to the next into the next. And a couple years later um, on a fast track, I was competing at uh, some of you may remember the U S Bally's triathlon series. There's a national series. Mm. I happened to go there and I won the national amateur um, event. And the prize that evening was for me to, I got a free trip to Hawaii, Ironman to compete. Wow. I had never done any of those distances at one time before. And so I showed so, up to Hawaii. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you've never done a long distance. You've been short distance and you get an invite to Kona. Yeah. And that was the prize back then. So that was um, wow. back in 99 when they hadn't changed the format yet where you had to qualify at a full Ironman. Right. And so basically I went from winning the U.S. Ballet Series, which was the Olympic distance race, and it was non it was non drafting. And then I went to Hawaii because they said we'll pay for your flight, we'll give you a new bike, and all your accommodations. I'm like, well, okay, wow. that yeah. sounds great. I'll do an Ironman. So um, I went, and that was that day. I'll never forget. I did my longest swim. I did my longest ride. It was my first century ride. And it was the first and only time I've ever run a marathon. And I combined that in one day. So that was, um, yeah, that was Hawaii. That was my amateur triathlon experience. And so I think you and I have this one thing in common, maybe only yeah. one thing in common and is we did two Ironmans in one day. We, <laughs> we did our first and our last. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Wow. Uh, in all of my reading I've done on you, I had no idea. That is an amazing nugget. I had no idea. So, so this is 1999. So this is um, I qualified at the U.S. Ballet's Fitness Race when I won that series uh, in '98, and then I received the entry into Kona in '99. And during the year of '99, I got a phone call after winning. Um, the triathlon in um, Oceanside from the USA Triathlon Federation. And they invited me as one of three athletes to live as one of their residents in 99 at the OTC. Okay. So they wanted me on the fast track to enter into draft legal racing. And so I moved there. I dropped everything. So this phone call, I'll never forget. It was Thanksgiving week in 98. And I moved there January 1 and um, gave up my my lease that I had on, on an apartment, I handed over my car to my parents to take over the car payments. Cause they said, we'll take the car payments over, but by no means are we going to give you the car and take the car payment. So I went <laughs> to Colorado without a car, um, no money. My stipend was $300 a month mm -hmm. and I didn't want this dream to, to pass. And so I spent, um, obviously a couple years, uh, in the sport of triathlon chasing points, the whole ITU thing. Until I started having, um, you know, issues with my body and I could no longer run, I had some hip setbacks and thought, you know what, 
I am way too old to be competing. I was in my mid twenties and I thought I'm far behind on this whole work thing and family thing and boyfriend thing. And (laughs) so I thought, you know what, injury is just going to kind of reset things. And, um, it's just kind of a blessing in disguise that I just need to move forward with my life. And, um, so I did that and it was about a year later where a local team had come to me in Boise and, you know, the women's challenge, which is called the HP women's challenge before the HP women's challenge, it was called the Orida women's right. challenge. Yeah. They invited this local cycling team to participate. So of course the local cycling team came to Kristen Armstrong and said, nice. yeah. Hey, so you have another free ride into the world's right? biggest stage. What do you, do you want to race on our team? All we need you to do is one race. It's the right. women's challenge. And I was like, you, please tell me you're kidding me because I've been watching this woman for, for five years and I'm far, I'm not that cyclist. And, um, I said, Oh, Kristen, it'll be so much fun. And I was just really you know, nervous about being embarrassed. And so I, my arm was twisted and I remember I would had a full-time job and I would go out after work with my headlamp on and I would train. And then on the weekends I would go with my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, Joe, Okay. And we would go do course recon and we would go, I would go memorize all the mile marker signs on every climb on the courses. Um, so that when I got dropped, I knew how far I had to go to the finish line. The days then, before Garmin GPS. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I was percent <laughs> um, ready to get dropped and just needed to know where I was. And the week came and during that week between the start of the race and the ending of the race, I had three contract offers. And at the time it was from Saturn, Rona and T-Mobile. Mm-hmm. And it was hard. Those were all like my dream team. I remember, um, Didi Demet and Kimberly Bruckner and Baldwin, they were all my heroes. And all I wanted to do was race with one of those gals. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, where are they going? And then you had Gianna pushing the hard sell on Saturn and, so I pretty much sat down with Jim Miller and I didn't know Jim Miller. He was directing the women's team at the time. And he offered to take me on a European race um, in August and said, listen, why don't you come join our team? And it was just a small race, like the tour de France for women. It was when they still had like the 16 day race. And, okay. <laughs> and um, I went over there with them and he offered me a contract at the end of that race. And he said, so there's just a couple things, Kristen, um, wh- who, who coaches you? Like, how do you train? And I said, I don't, I don't have a coach. I just ride my bike. And when I feel like riding hard, I ride hard. And when I don't, I don't. And he's like, well, you know, to get better, you probably need to work with a coach that can guide you and um, help you be successful. And I said, I, I don't know any coaches. I do you coach? And he said, I coach. I said, great. Then you're my coach. He's like, okay. And so that's how Jim and I met. And that's how he was my coach from 2002 until obviously through Rio. And so, um, obviously through that backstory, my life had changed. I always say that I'm just that normal average person who, yes, I have competitive blood, um, determined, um, put everything out there, took risk, but definitely didn't train and grow up as like thinking I was ever going to be an Olympian or let alone a professional athlete. 
Yeah. I think you just ripped through about 15 years of an amazing <laughs> career there. We're going to go back and unpack some of that if you don't mind. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So first, so if we go into the Olympic years, um, 2008 Beijing, um, you know, every one of these, so, you know, obviously you've won three gold medals in consecutive Olympics in the individual time trial. No one's ever done that in history. You were the oldest uh, to ever win a, a cycling gold medal. That was at age 42 in Rio. But yet, they weren't just time trials. I mean, on paper, they're called time trials, but they're very different courses. And that's very hard to do. It's not just sit on the trainer and go for 60 minutes. You know, it's they're very unique and very different courses. So there has to be different challenges um, to preparing for, for all of them. How would you classify Beijing course and what was the, maybe the biggest challenge for you to prepare for that? So Beijing course, you know, when, when someone talks about a hilly time trial, so what happens is whether it's world championships, nationals, Olympics, everyone comes out and says, oh, have you seen the course? And back in the day, remember, there was no GPS. There's no right. mapping, nothing. There was Google Earth, by the way. And so um, <laughs> when people say the course in Beijing is hilly, as a time trial mind, I think of, oh, it's probably these big rolling hills. because. Typically, there's not a hill climb in a time trial, um, unless it's called a hill climb. And so, you know, I'd heard that, no, really, Kristen, it's really, really hilly. I'm like, and nobody was really understanding. And back in the day, when you saw like a race Bible or you saw a profile, you never really knew whether you should believe that profile or not. <laughs> um, and so we actually decided... Jim Miller and myself decided to fly to Beijing to look for ourselves. Okay. And so in December in 2007, we flew over. There happened to be another World Cup, a track World Cup there. So he was going over there anyway. And so we went over there and I reconned the course with Jim. And we were like, oh my gosh, this really? is a 20-minute hill climb straight up. Mm. Wow. And then we're going to go, guess what, straight down. And... um. Basically, we looked at each other and said, oh, when people ask us about this course, our response is going to be, oh, it's just a hilly time trial course. The biggest tool we had was, number one, my husband's an engineer, so we geeked out. I went over there. He sent me over there with a uh, bike computer so he could actually map out the GPS points, the data points. And so then we overlaid it on a course in Boise. And um, we found that Boise had um, a climb called Bogus Basin up to the ski resort, and it pretty much matched Beijing. Wow. And so I would train on um, Bogus Basin for this hill climb. But on top of that data, that was um, also the year that we decided to go extreme with our bike and how are we going to make it as light as possible. Mm. And so we did anything from custom ordering uh, a front chain ring from the UK that's all carbon fiber. And the company told us like, I wouldn't ride this more than seven or eight times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. No problem. That's um, when we decided to, we ordered um, special uh, cog set. We ordered a different type of chain, you name it. But on the start line with um, a 404 zip and a disc, 
we were at the limit right at 15 pounds. Mm. Um, I'll never forget Conchalara picking up my bike where the bikes were getting weighed. Yeah. And he picked it up and was like, oh my goodness. And I just smiled because it was the first time I thought, wow, a female kind of, you know, started, I guarantee you, I started that race having a bike that was at least two pounds lighter than everybody else, any of my competitors. Right. And so that sort of started, I obviously had to break some sponsor contracts and that was um, a risk I had to take. I got fired from Cervelo and then rehired four months later, but um, (laughs) they weren't happy, but then they had a hard time not being happy after I won. Mm -hmm. So there's just some risks that you have to take sometimes um, as an athlete. And so that was, that was Beijing. And so that was early on and that's when we had to push the envelope um, back then. Well, in Beijing and then, you know, Rio was maybe not as hilly, right? Well, Rio, um, so we had London, which was flat. Um, right. It reminds me of just the year of speed. Um, again, weight didn't matter as much, but the roads were a little rough. And so the wheel tire combination in the aerodynamics and the focus on just not moving your head around um, became very, very important. But even that's when we started looking at um, the importance of Finding the fastest skin suit, um, that became super critical as well, just to gain those seconds. And so that was London. And then Rio by far was the most difficult time trial course I'd ever done. And hmm. so the difference with Rio was it was very, very short, spiky hills. And the hill, the grade got up to, you know, 26%. And so now we're talking about you know, there was flat sections where aerodynamics played a role, but now we were taking a course, breaking it down and saying, what percentage of this course is going to favor the rolling resistance in the weight of your bike versus the aerodynamics? Because now there's so much conversation around tires that are aerodynamic and, you know, do you use clinchers and tubulars and how wide a tire? And at the end of the day, you have to take it course by course. And that's what we did in Rio. And then obviously we wake up and it's pouring rain. So that was a whole nother, um, you know, something that we didn't have control of. But with Rio, we were able to focus on the weight of the bike again. And we got my bike down to um, right over 15 pounds. Once again, my husband had a gram scale out. That's how much weight we were trying to take off. And so he had replaced all of my screws with titanium screws. You name it. We had the lightest bike. And about a week before Rio, he came to me and he said, you know, I, I found more weight to take off your bike, but I just don't know if you're going to go for it. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, I found a half a pound. Whoa. And I was like, well, you have a gram scale out. How can you find a half a pound? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he said, well, I don't know, Kristen, like you have to race without power. And I was like, done. I can, I know how to hurt. I'm just going to go for it. And so I didn't have a power meter on in Rio. Oh. Yeah. And so the only thing I had, um, I had learned to control my training through cadence. Mm-hmm. And so I knew exactly, I know how to hurt. I know what that feels like. Um, but what happens with my cadence um, is a determinant of how much power I'm producing right. when going as hard as I can. And I know exactly what I do when... I get tired and fatigued and um, the cadence was a reminder of where I needed to be. Right. And, you know, and for most people, they're not going to have Jim Miller in their ear either. 
<laughs> no, no. So that was effectively your power meter. You know, Jim has a stopwatch. He has the time checks along the way, uh, you know, against your co competition. Okay. So those were the challenges as it came, you know, as it related to the courses. Let's talk about motherhood. Another, <laughs> another challenge. Um, you know, Beijing, obviously, uh, you didn't have Lucas yet, your son. Uh, Lucas was born in 2010. Is that yes, correct? correct. Yep. So your first retirement, is that correct, was 2009 to start a family? Yes. And walk us through the challenges of that, preparing for London. Um, was it a natural? Like, I'm going to have a family and I'm going to do the, the Olympics straight away. No, actually, um, I was that person who thought that any person who would race their bike with a family was selfish. And um, by no means should they ever consider racing as a professional athlete as a mom. Like that yeah. to me was like, you should be over yourself by then. And <laughs> so it was basically when I was nine months pregnant, I rode my bike all the way through my pregnancy. I was lucky that I could do that. Um, about nine months into my pregnancy, probably about three weeks before delivering, I got this text message from Jim Miller. And he said, hey, so 20, 22 months, what do you think? And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about, 22 months. <laughs> and so he said, um, 22 months to London, wouldn't that be an awesome goal? And I said, I'm like huge right now. I'm absolutely, you know, like, no, this is not a good idea. And um, so then I went to my husband and I said, Joe, you're not going to believe what Jim is texting me right now. He's like... 22 months like over London and Joe started laughing and I was like, why are you guys, why is this so funny to you guys? And all I want to do is get this baby out of me. So again, is the coach seeing something that the athlete doesn't see? Yes, exactly. And so then I looked at Joe and I said, why are you laughing? And he said, Oh, well, Jim and I kind of have a bet going. Oh my like, gosh. A bet. He's like, yeah, we kind of, we kind of, well, the way you've been riding through your pregnancy, like there's no way you're done. You're just so competitive. I mean, <laughs> you're rolling with one leg out because you can't even pedal because your stomach's so big and you just can't slow down. And I'm like, whatever, whatever. I was like so hormonal. <laughs> and so I had, we delivered Lucas September 15th and Jim gave me about probably 10 days. And then I got another text message and he's like, Hey, what do you think? 18 months. I'm like, what? And so a couple weeks later, and now we're like the second week of October. So about a month after having Lucas, I texted Jim back and I said, you know what? You're right. It would be fun. And he was like, let's do it. And so November 1st, I'll never forget it. He said, we have to make a commitment. We have to go out with a press release. We have to tell everyone you're coming back. And I'm like, all right. So November 1 it was kind of the real deal. We put it out there. I'm making a comeback. And I was like, well, how are we going to start Jim? He's like, Oh, that's a great question. I've never trained. I've never trained an athlete after pregnancy for Olympic games. It's like, well, <laughs> just think of this as another book you could write. And, um, so I remember he said, and I think he was trying to be like coming from a guy, you know, men can, put their foot in their mouth sometimes when women are pregnant, like you kind of think they're pregnant and you say something wrong or, mm -hmm. um, so he was like, started off with training and he's like, I'm like, well, how do we do this? And he's like, well, we're going to start with just 
Well, I don't want to stress you out too much, but let's just start with exercising. And I was like, are you <laughs> saying like, let's just start with like losing some weight? Like let's exercise? <laughs> Jazzercise? So, yeah. So he said, we're going to take the next three months and we're just going to focus on getting out for aerobic activity. I'm like, all right, this sounds like a great plan. Like, this is not too hard. I can go ride my bike sometimes and hike sometimes. <laughs> and um, so that's how it went for the first three months. And then January hit and he flipped a switch. It was like, we got, we don't have much time. We got to go. And I remember there was some really, there was a lot of times where I'm like, I quit. This is horrible. The first race I did was in um, San Dimas and I had my pack and play. I had my stroller. I was breastfeeding. You name it. It was horrendous. And I thought, what am I doing? This is, this is a, this is not a smart decision. And I don't know why I have to be, you know, think I need to do it all. Why did I have to come back? So anyway, that kind of was on and off for 15 months before London. Um, it was just nonstop. And then obviously leading into London, you know, nine weeks before London, my last opportunity to qualify, you know, I crashed and broke my collarbone in what we call the exergy tour, which was a kind of a comeback to the women's challenge in Boise. And so, you know, there's just so many events that you think being a mom of a newborn is hard enough and to add bike racing in. Um, but it, it gave me perspective that no matter what, no matter how my training went that day, I had this little thing, this little human being that every time I came back home, he didn't really care if I had a bad day or a good day. Yeah. And there was always a smile on his face. And so I think it was really much easier to train because you just had something so positive in your life, no matter what happened out on the road. And so that was, um, I always called being a mom, my secret weapon and nobody understood because he thought, well, how can you balance all your time? And I said, it's just about having someone that's always happy when you come home. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And my training, it definitely, you know, had to change. I think that for the most part, we obviously it's important to train your systems as you would if you have a lot of time. But, um, I think the most important thing is, you know, we obviously made sure that you know, I was feel efficient and that I was um, building in the, the correct zone so my body could actually um, have that foundation to train properly. But, you know, that was just a period of time and quantity or quality over quantity and made sure that every one of my workouts had a purpose. And so just for example, if I were to have had, you know, two easy days throughout the week, prior to motherhood at an hour and a half of active recovery, you know, maybe one of those now is an hour and the other day is just off. Mm -hmm. And so some of those active recovery, more mental rides were um, sometimes just not anything. It might've been more of a walk with my son. Got so Jim was really good at balancing um, motherhood and, and training, which was, was really key to being successful. Well, now I cannot ever watch the footage of you on the podium in London without uh, crying myself, <laughs> almost as many tears. If anybody has not seen that, go to YouTube and, and, and search for it. This is where Lucas runs up on the podium and you were frantically searching for your family, you know, prior to that moment. 
Um, and then finally you see your family and break down and Lucas comes out and I start bawling. <laughs> yeah, so was it like, was definitely a moment um, that I it's ingrained in my brain as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So the last challenge here. So we, we have Rio, um, you know, age 42. Um, how is that preparation different than Beijing, if, if any at all? Um, you talked about recovery. You know, where did you see um, age setting in, if, or maybe you didn't? Because I have raced and ridden my bike for so long, you know, I find that um, I can get back pretty quickly, um, you know, my aerobic capacity. I can get back to my threshold after, you know, a good period of training. That comes back fairly quickly. Obviously, with Rio being pretty hilly and spiky, I had to really work on that upper end, um, VO2. Mm. And that's what we focus a lot on, actually. Um, had a lot of a lot of three minute efforts in my life. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of just, you know, 4020s or 2040s or 3030s. I had a lot of over unders. Um, really focusing on that high end that um, seems to uh, go away much quicker these days. The other thing that I had never done, which is just kind of a thing now, is, um, and it's an important component now, but um, I had never done anything pretty much off the bike. You know, mm -hmm. I would go to some yoga classes. When we talk about strength training, that wasn't in my life um, prior to Rio. So as time has gone, I have found that it's very difficult to keep you know, when you're younger, you lose some muscle mass and you start training again, your muscle mass just comes back, no problem. And so I had to focus a lot on what am I going to do off the bike um, to, well, first of all, it was to prevent injury. You know, I had to make sure that my core, so if I go out for a long ride and I have tons of elevation um, that day, you know, a lot of times our, our core or our transverse abs, they turn off and our lower back starts to carry that, that weight. And you know, over the years of riding bikes, you know, a lot of us feel that. And so I found that a lot of functional training style um, activity, doing some more mobility, um, some yoga, doing that really was a key component to my training when I became over 40. The other thing is that I worked with um, a nutrition, a registered dietitian to hone in on my recovery plan so it was interesting. I actually used Training Peaks and shared my Training Peaks account. And it was interesting because as you get older, I worked with dietitians in the past and they made my meal plans when I was like 32 years old. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the time, you know, I'm 42, 41, and I don't really need, I never felt that I needed anyone to really tell me like, okay, eat a salad at 12 o'clock and eat chicken at, I was, I'm kind of was past that part of, I know how to eat a well-balanced diet. But what I did lack was how am I optimally going to recover stage after stage at like Tour of Gila, or if I go to a classics race like over in Europe, or how am I going to recover from really hard back-to-back -back training days? And I know this information, but it's like physical training. I needed, finally, I just cracked and said, I need you to go in on my training peaks and I need you just to write down exactly 
what I need to do even 30 minutes after my workout. Mm-hmm. And so I worked with um, Stacy Sims mm-hmm. and she pretty much would just go in and see exactly what my training was from Jim um, and would write my recovery plan. And that's all I wanted from her was my recovery plan. And she yeah. wrote it for my races. She wrote it for my training and I just followed it. And so if it was eating 30 grams of protein, 30 minutes before bed, that's just what I did. Right. Well, and that's like accountability. It's not just prescription, but you, you yeah. are now accountable to her. Yes. And so, um, I would say between off the bike training and my recovery plan, those were two critical pieces that I felt helped me win my third gold medal at the age of 42. Yeah. Great tips. Absolutely. Um, really, really good stuff. You know, if we turn the page and we go into your next chapter of your life, you bring all that experience into coaching now. So tell us about some of your athletes, obviously Chloe Digert. I mean, you know, I think in Tokyo, she could win time trial, road race and team pursuit. So, (laughs) um, some great talent there. So, so tell us about, um, you know, how you're coaching these days. What does that look like? Yeah. You know, I coach a handful of athletes. I, you know, and and the neat thing about coaching is I've really gotten to know, um, you know, right now I'm coaching four individuals and they, it's so nice and, and refreshing, um, what they bring, you know, they think, Oh, Kristen's amazing. She brings so much to me. And I'm like, you don't know, you bring so much to my life. And (laughs) you know that you have closure when you have a career, like I have had, I quite often get asked, like, are you really done? And I was like, you know what? I came back twice out of the sport, not thinking I was finished, but when you know you're done, you know, and I'm so thankful for having closure and it took me a while, no question. Mm. But, um, the way I see closure is for me to help Chloe win a gold medal in the same event I won the last three Olympics in and to pass that baton. I'm okay with that. To me, that is like, that would be my fourth gold medal. If I help Chloe yeah. win, I would, I would claim that medal. That's <laughs> so, an amazing, that's would be a great story. If you coach your successor. Right? And so, um, so for me, it's been a way for me to keep in the sport in a, in a really impactful and positive way. And I coach Chloe Digert. I coach Emma White, who comes from cyclocross. I've actually clo- coached Emma since high school, and she's now just graduated college. Mm. She um, is now on the fast track for the women's team pursuit. So she's an integral part of the women's team pursuit. And then I coach Haley Batten, who is the top U23 mountain biker in the country. And, you know, she is um, a breath of fresh air. She brings so much motivation. She's so excited about riding bikes that it inspires me to, to get out as well. And then I also coach um, a gal named Shana Paulus, who is living in Florida. And she is the sister of Nielsen Paulus that a lot of us are familiar with. Mm-hmm. So I have a variety of athletes and it's been a great process and it's been really fun. I, my coaching style is very individual. Um, so it's not like Chloe's plan doesn't match Emma's plan with who doesn't match Haley's plan. who doesn't match Shana. So I put a lot of time in, um, athletes goals and in this day and what's happening, a coach to deliver and to really help, um, remind athletes, that you still believe in them and that 
this will turn into believing in themselves, no matter if Tokyo's in this July or next July. It doesn't really matter the time frame. So that's been a really important process. You know, I um, people ask me, you know, what kind of coach I I am, and I love it. You know, I I have a reputation in the Peloton of you know people are always like, oh my gosh, she's so serious, and I don't know, you know, scary. And when people ask um, my athletes, which they've shared with me, like somebody will ask Emma, hey, so what's it like working with Kristen? Is she like hard as ever? And Emma's like, oh my gosh, she's so, you know, she's just so nice. Like she's, and so the perception of what people think and how I coach is very different than how I coach. <laughs> so it's, um, they think I am a coach kind of how I was on the bike as an athlete. So it's, it's really interesting, um, outside perspective, but I would say as a coach, one of my strengths is yes, I know data. Yes. I know the technology side of things. However the most important thing as a coach that I do is I get to know my athletes. And so I have relationship with them that I feel, you know, it's one thing to look at everything that data is showing me. And I, I take that into a lot of consideration, but then knowing that voice of the athlete, when they say, I'm just not feeling it today. And, you know, I can look at the data and say, well, you should be feeling it. What's wrong with you? But it's a certain voice that I find that I connect with and I can always tell when an athlete is physically tired, mentally tired, just not feeling it. And so I've just had a great time coaching all different personalities and also disciplines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think also you, you know, you lived, you know, the epitome of grit and character and I've heard you say it's all between the ears. Um, and you could have taken that same character and done something else, you know, in your life with it, but you decided to, to chase gold and it, it proved out to be the right choice. I love ending on that. There are so many great nuggets. Again, I, you know, I could have seen this as a five episode, uh, show any kind of last words of wisdom as, as we're in this crazy time of COVID and, for those age groupers out there, they don't know when the next race is. Um, any kind of last words of wisdom for for those folks? Yeah, you know, I think um, you have to keep things in perspective. You have to keep it fun. And so I'm developing a lot of fun um, events for, you know, four or five, eight athletes that maybe I don't coach them all. Um, but there's no reason, you know, if training camps have worked for you before, there's no reason why you can't do a training camp from afar with all the different platforms that are offered. I also think that this is a great time to work on weaknesses. I always say that. What are mm -hmm. we struggling with? What are we always trying to accomplish when we don't have time to accomplish? So focus on the positives and all the things that you can control because those things you can't control are, are again, out of our control. So there's no need to uh, create and have any frustration um, you know, with that. And so, this time will pass. And the great thing is, is that whether we're indoors or outdoors, we can always ride our bike and we should be very thankful and grateful for, for this. Absolutely. We can be a cyclist, we can be a triathlete, we can be a runner, but we can be that without the race and the races will come back. So Kristen, thank you so much for your time. It's been so enjoyable. Uh, and how can people maybe uh, follow you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, you know, um, it's, K strong 22. 
I am also on Facebook just with Kristen Armstrong. I obviously post quite a bit. I am always, you know, telling the story of my athletes, of kind of what I'm up to. But yeah, I would always, obviously, I love to hear from people. And um, if anyone ever wants to reach out, I'm, I'm always one. I'm a responder. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks again. And uh, uh, yeah, good luck to all your athletes as they prepare for the Olympics. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. For more episodes, visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. <laughs>